When I was a kid, my, my dad often shared his favorite verse. For some reason, that was a common thing in the circles that we were in growing up, is people had favorite verses. And I remember specifically, my dad's favorite verse was Joshua 1.9, which, which says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, for I am with you wherever you go. And as a kid, I was like, okay, that's dad's favorite verse. Didn't think a whole lot about it, but it also didn't mean a whole lot to me. Until I got to be about the same age as I remember the first time I heard my dad share that. I, when I hit about, I think I was 28, 29, 30, something like that. And I had three young kids and a wife, and there was so much uncertainty in my life and so much pressure that I thought I needed to, like, I needed to perform. I needed to do well. I needed, I needed to do something. I, um, that verse began to speak to me and become like an important verse in my life. I don't know if I would say that's my favorite verse, but I, that verse became something that meant a lot to me because I'd reached a point where I needed courage. I had reached a point where life was no longer just kind of small stakes. It's scary, but I'm dreaming of things and I want things to work out, but people depended on me and situations depended on me. And I needed that verse, Joshua 1, 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, for I am with you wherever you go. Maybe you're in this, at the, in this season needing courage. Right now, there is so much in our lives that is uncertain. I uh, look back three months, and it feels like it was three years ago. So much right now, whether it's finances, whether it's health, whether it's family issues, the reality of this pandemic that we're living in has all has like raised all of these uncertainties in our lives. But most of us are still living with a lot of the uncertainties. The, the, we're still living with our need for courage because some of you are facing impossible situations. Some of you have heard from the doctor and you don't know how you're going to face that. Some of you are facing relationship problems and you don't know how you can bear one more day, one more week, one more month like this. Some of us are coming here, gathering here, going, where can I get the courage to go forward? Where can the courage that I need to face whatever April and whatever May and whatever June and whatever 2020 and whatever 21 holds, where can I get the courage that I need to face those kind of things? Right now, we're in a series called The One, where we're looking in the book of Luke, uh, Luke 22, 23, and 24, to see what does it mean for Jesus to be the one? What does it mean for Jesus to be the promised one, the fulfillment of all of God's promises? What does God have to say to us? And today, as we look at Jesus' death, I think that we need to actually pay attention to that tension that we feel, that need for courage. How am I going to get in, out of bed in the morning? How am I going to rise up and fight this battle one more day? Today, we're going to look at Luke 23, verses 26 through 56, where we look at Jesus' death, and Luke, God through Luke, sets out for us where that kind of courage to face the battles that we are facing comes from. So go ahead and grab your Bible. Turn with me to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. I'm going to start in verse 26. Up to this point, Jesus has been uh, betrayed and arrested. 
and then he's been tried, found innocent, but sentenced to death anyway. And this is where the story picks up. Verse 26, as the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who is on his way from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Let's pray. God, help us to hear clearly from your word. We don't want to hear the thoughts of men. We don't want to hear helpful tips. God, we want a courage that comes from your mouth to our ears. In Jesus' name, amen. What we see here at the beginning of this is that the soldiers put... The, the, the cross that Jesus was to carry on somebody coming in from the city. And so Simon from Cyrene carrying the cross in place of Jesus because Jesus has already been beaten. He's already been whipped. He's exhausted. And so somebody else is carrying the cross for him. And, the, and here in this first scene, verse 27 says that a large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. What happens in the, at this time is this is this is a last walk of grief and lament. And these women are lamenting for Jesus. But Jesus, even in his own grief and even in his own exhaustion and his own grief, his own weakness, Jesus turns and says, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. This is a saying that I always, I never really understood. Like, Jesus, what are you getting at? Like, why... Are you saying weep for yourselves? What is this statement? If they do, if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Jesus is pointing them to the fact that it is the Romans that are putting him to death and he's innocent. And so what more are the Romans going to do to Jerusalem and to the people of Jerusalem who are not innocent? And so this was not a grand statement of, um, like a universal lament. This is for the women and the people of Jerusalem. Lament for the fact that the Romans are destroying Jesus, the true Israel, who is innocent. And then one day, about 40 years later, would actually turn and destroy Jerusalem and its temple for good. And so what we find here is this is a last walk of grief and lament. And Jesus is already showing us something as he turns his attention to the, the women and to the crowd and to his concern for them. And then it moves on to the crucifixion. This is two other men who were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. 
The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, remember me. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Here in this scene, Jesus is crucified. They nail his hands and his feet to the wood and hang him there. Crucifixion is a is it the most shameful kind of death the Romans could come up with because it would usually take two or three days to suffocate under your own weight. So your hands and your feet are in pain. Your skin, the skin on your back has already been ripped off with whips. And then you begin to suffocate and lose strength. And it takes Days to go through this. And they do this while the, the one being crucified hangs there naked. And to, to add to this, this picture of shame, the, the rulers, the, the soldiers mock him. And then the rulers mock him, saying, Aren't you the Messiah? Uh, they say, He saved others, let him save himself. If he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. And so the rulers are mocking him. And the soldiers are mocking him. And then the criminals, even the criminals that he's dying beside, turn and mock him. One of them says, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence. He responds to the other criminal who's already been mocking Jesus. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And so then at this moment, this moment of pain and of shame, this moment where where Jesus is being mocked by those that crucify him, those that have accused him, and those that are dying with him, Jesus turns to the one who said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Verse 43 says, Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Here we see Jesus again turning his attention outward to a, to a criminal, not, not to a holy man, to a criminal, to somebody that's guilty of the same kind of thing that Jesus has been accused of and found guilt, uh, innocent of doing. And so here in this scene, this scene of shame, Jesus is turning his, his face in service to the criminal hanging beside him. Then in verse 44, we see the third scene. This is the crisis scene of Jesus' crucifixion. This is that pivotal moment. Is Jesus going to take himself off the cross? Is Jesus the Christ who is going to save himself and bring his kingdom to bear? Or is he going to die? That's the tension that starts in verse 44. Verse 44 says, It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. 
The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. This uh, this crisis scene, is Jesus the Christ? Is he going to take himself down from the cross? Is he going to save himself and the criminals that are beside him? Is Jesus going to do his rescue. And we get to this moment. The whole land becomes dark. Not like an eclipse. It couldn't have been an eclipse because the time of the, the, time of the year of Passover, uh, what doesn't work with the, the way eclipses work with, moon, with the moon. And so it couldn't be an eclipse. The whole land goes dark. The sun stops shining. The curtain of the temple is torn in two. And Jesus calls out with a loud voice. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. In this moment, is Jesus going to save himself and rescue and bring in his kingdom? And the answer is yes. But that looks like death. These details just pile up. The centurion looks and says, the centurion, seeing what had happened, he praised God. One translation says he, he worshiped God and said, surely this was an innocent man. This was a righteous man. And all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place. They beat their breasts and they went away. The story, this story starts with grief, with women in the crowd mourning for Jesus. And here the crowd leaves beating their breasts in grief and going away. But everybody who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Luke is a historian, and he's telling us, I've talked to all of the people that stood there in that scene. I've talked to the people that were in that place and saw these things happen. Jesus really died. And so would Jesus prove himself to be the Messiah the way that the rulers and the soldiers and the criminal mocked him? No, Jesus is not going to be that kind of Messiah. He's not going to do that kind of rescue. And then the fourth scene is the, is the burial scene. Verse 50 says, Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. The story turns to a man named Joseph that we've, we've not learned anything else about him, but he goes and asks for the body of Jesus and buries him in his tomb that nobody else had been buried in. Uh, Luke is telling us details because Luke wants us to know. I've, I've talked to the people that were involved in these things. Jesus was really dead and was really buried in, in this tomb, in this place. But Joseph was in a hurry because it was the Sabbath day and he wanted to keep the commandment. And so... Jesus was buried without being embalmed in spices. And so the women who had been following Jesus and who had seen him die saw where he was buried and went and wanted to love and honor Jesus by embalming him. And so they went and prepared for that, but had to wait for Sunday morning because they had to keep the Jewish law 
that they rest on the Sabbath day. And so this, but this scene kind of, it leaves us with some suspense, making us wonder, is this the end or is this the beginning? Obviously, we, we can read ahead. We obviously, we know that Easter comes, that Sunday is coming, that it's not the end. But the story is written in such a way that you get to this point and it's like, these women have seen all of these things and they've gotten ready and something important has to be ready to happen because these women are getting ready for Sunday morning. And we're going we're gonna to save this we're going to save the, the Easter morning text for Easter Sunday in the coming week. But this, this, this story here of Jesus' death, his last walk of grief and lament, Jesus' crucifixion being mocked, Jesus, this crisis, will Jesus save himself and establish his kingdom and Jesus' burial? Is this the end or is this the beginning? All of this sets up for us this call to be strong and courageous because of Jesus' death. You see, you and I are facing sometimes impossible or insurmountable odds. We are facing battles that we don't know how we are going to go through. And God knows that, and Luke knows that. And so he sets up this story so that the first Christians and all Christians after them could say three things. I want to point you to these three things that Luke keeps repeating in this that helps us find the strength to be courageous. The first thing is be strong and courageous because Jesus was innocent in his death. You see, the, this, this story repeats several times this verdict that Herod and that Pilate have already established over Jesus, that Jesus is innocent. And it, then it begins to come on the lips of a criminal who says, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. This same added, the same thing is picked up by the centurion who's in charge of the crucifixion, who praises God and says, surely this was an innocent man. This, this passage is wanting us to, to make sure that we understand that Jesus was innocent. And that begins to be the ground from which uh, Christian courage rises up. You see, if this all depends on, can I get these things right? And can I do the right things? Can I get everything done in the right order and make God happy and make God love me? Then we would be carrying a weight that we cannot bear. And so Christian courage actually is, it starts with the ground here in Jesus' death that Jesus is an innocent man dying in place of guilty men. And so when God looks at us, his attitude is now settled towards us. How, why can we be strong and courageous knowing that God is with us? It's because God is never going to find out something about you that surprises him. God is never going to find out something that you've done something that you've thought that surprises him. This, this passage is establishing for sure Jesus was innocent in his death. And so we can know that God's attitude towards us is settled. The innocent died in the place of a guilty person like me and like you. And so the, we can actually be strong and courageous knowing that nothing that's happening to me is some kind of divine punishment. God trying to get back at me. 
God trying to teach me a lesson that I wouldn't get any other way. We can know that God is not going to get us to the end of our life and say, look at what you've never done for me. This passage says that God's attitude towards us is settled because Jesus was innocent. And so we can find the strength to be strong and courageous. You see, the gospel at its heart, our faith at its heart starts with the statement, I am guilty. But instead of leaving me as a guilty person before God, responsible for following Him, but unwilling to do that, it starts with the God, I have done wrong. God, I have sinned against you. God, will you forgive me? But, but it's not, God, will you just pass over it? God, will you ignore it? This story tells us and shows us that Jesus, the innocent one, dies in our place so that we can go free. At its heart is this statement, I am guilty, but Jesus is innocent and I will trade with him. And then when we've made that trade with Jesus, when we have said, God, I give up my sin and I will take Jesus' innocence and perfection, then we can know that we stand before God innocent and that God looks at us the way that he looks at Jesus. And so this passage calls us to be strong and courageous, to venture boldly knowing that there is no sin that now stands in between me and God's affections for me. And so when we face uncertainty and when we face impossible odds and we don't know what the future holds, one thing we know that the future does not hold is guilt for us. And so we can be strong and courageous. The second reason that we can be strong and courageous because of this story right here is that we find that the Jesus who who served in his life is still serving in his death. And so we can trust that that is Jesus' heart for us always. You see, we can be strong and courageous because the Jesus that we find on the cross who is paying attention to the needs and the griefs and the wishes and the desires of the people around him is that same Jesus for you and I. You see, Jesus' quotes throughout this passage show that even in this moment, Jesus is focusing on how he can serve and bless. He turns with concern and says, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. Jesus is the one who says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Jesus is the one who turns to a criminal in his last moments on earth and says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is the one who is outward focused. Jesus is the one who is constantly paying attention to the desperate desires and needs of the people around him. That's the Jesus that we've seen throughout his life. Jesus, the one that welcomes and touches and embraces lepers. Jesus, the one that that welcomes a woman that nobody can touch because she's been bleeding for 12 years. Jesus, the one that goes outside the city to talk to the woman that nobody wants to talk to at the well. That's the same Jesus we find hanging on a cross. And so we find in this that Jesus, serving in his suffering, serving in his life, and serving to the end, is the Jesus 
that serves us now. If we wonder, I'm supposed to be strong and courageous as I face impossible odds, as I face impossible tasks, as I don't know how I'm going to go on, what we find in this story is a Jesus who serves in his life and in his death. And so we can trust that that's the same Jesus we come to right now, asking for his help. That's the same Jesus that we come to now. Hebrews chapter 7 tells us that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, pleading for us. The Jesus who served in his life, washing the feet of his disciples, healing the blind, feeding the 5,000, hangs on a cross and says, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Today you will be with me in paradise. And now he is before the Father, interceding for you. So why, why can you be strong and courageous in the face of impossible work, impossible tasks, burdens that you don't think that you can bear because you're not bearing them alone? The Jesus we find on the cross is the same Jesus that is available to you and I right now interceding before the Father. And the third reason that we can be strong and courageous is because... Because Jesus in this story is constantly looking forward. Jesus is constantly hoping and expecting something better in the future. It, there's, it's kind of hard to, I don't have a great way of saying that because often we say hope and we just mean I'm kind of wishing that things might get better and we, we're just kind of wishing that life will get a little bit easier. But what we find in this is that Jesus has, a, a, his hope is like rock solid. Jesus, Jesus' face is at it towards the future. And he's not just wishing things would get better. His, his, his faith is rock solid. His, his face is turned towards the future. You, you see, he, when he turns to the criminal, he doesn't say, I hope that you will be with me and that something after death happens that's good. Instead, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, Jesus is the one who, when he's in his last moments, he cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus is looking towards the future with this expectation and this, this constant faith in his Father that no matter the grief, no matter how hard this is, no matter how hopeless this looks to everybody else on the outside, Sunday's coming. One pastor put it that the Sunday is coming is, is the, the, the real story that covers Jesus' death is yes, Friday is awful. Jesus' death is awful, but Jesus' face is on the fact that Sunday is coming. You see, this scene with Jesus' burial has this suspense built into it. Is this the end? Or is something else coming? Is this the end or is something else coming? But what we find is that Jesus is committed to a ministry that does not end. That Jesus knows that his death will not be the end. And so he can look at the criminal from the cross and say, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is the one who has set his face on a future ministry to his disciples and to you and I because Jesus, is his face and his attention are towards the future. Trusting that the Father holds it and knows it and redeems it and will renew it. And so you and I are called. 
You and I are called in this passage to be strong and courageous because Jesus is the Lord of the future. Even from the cross, Jesus' attention is on the future because he holds it and he knows it and he's going to renew it and he's bringing a kingdom one day. And so this this story calls us to be strong and courageous, not because we know we're going to win in this moment, but because we know that Jesus wins, because we know that Jesus is out there in the future paying attention to it, shepherding and stewarding all of the details towards his own ends. And so no matter the, the diagnosis that you face, no matter the, the call you get from your work, no matter the bills that pile up, no matter what the coming days hold in your relationships, in your family, in your career, in your retirement, in your dreams, Jesus is a Lord of the future. And so we can be strong and courageous. If I'm honest, though, I um, most of the time am not strong and courageous. Those details are not the ones that, that stick in my mind. I'm the one that goes into the future timid and afraid. I'm the one that goes into the future kicking and screaming. And I wonder if you find yourself in that same place. Where is the good news for people like you and for me? Where is the good news for people like you and for me? who hear, oh, be strong and courageous because Jesus' innocence settles God's attitude towards me. Be, be strong and courageous because Jesus is serving even now. Be strong and courageous because Jesus is Lord of the future. But at each of those things, I act like I'm abandoned. I act like God's attitude is settled with a guilty verdict. I'm the one who acts like God is not Lord of the future. So where is the good news for me? in this passage. Where's the good news for you in this passage? The good news is that Jesus, the innocent one, died in the place of the guilty. Jesus, the one who had nothing, he had nothing against him. Nobody could charge him with anything that wasn't true. Died innocently. For people like you and me that were not strong, that will not be strong and courageous. Jesus, the one who was serving us in his death, served those of us that are fearful and afraid and is serving even now. Jesus, the Lord of the future, died in the place of you and I who would would not give our future to him so that God's attitude towards us could be settled. And so then this passage becomes good news when we go, God is calling me to be strong and courageous. And he's giving me the record of Jesus who is strong and courageous even in his death in my place. And so then when we begin to live this kind of lifestyle out, then we become the kind of strong and courageous people that can go into these relationships and these impossible situations. We can go in and face these things that we don't know our way out of. And we can be strong and courageous, transforming these things not by the strength of our own will, but by what Jesus has done for us in his death on the cross. And then we become good news people because nobody else has that kind, those kind of resources to be strong and courageous. Let's pray. God, I pray. I pray that we would become strong and courageous people 
that we would have the kind of resources that come from the gospel, that come from Jesus' death and the knowledge that the Lord of the future is right now bending over into your ear and whispering and asking and pleading good things for us. In Jesus' name, amen.